On this episode of the Loud Outs Podcast, Phil and I get into opening weekend around Major League Baseball, a fantastic start to the 2023 season. We'll talk about the pace of play, what we liked, what we didn't like. How about all the stolen bases around the game? Surprises, disappointments early on. Is it too early to panic in Philadelphia? How about Kodai Senga making that debut for the New York Mets? It was pretty special. We'll get into it all on the Loud Outs Podcast. It starts now. Welcome into another edition of the Loud Outs Podcast, C.J. Nikowski and Ryan Spielborgs. And yeah, we are now underway here. The season has officially started. We are through opening day weekend, uh, and it was a blast. The energy was fantastic. Spill, you got to call three games uh, in a tremendous place with a lot of eyes on San Diego and the Padres when the Rockies. Oh, four games. That's right. My bad. Four game series that you had. Uh, one of the few four game series that we had, which led us to what? Just five games on Friday. It was kind of a weird start to the season in that regard. Uh, the fact that there was only five games on a Friday, the first Friday, that won't happen the rest of the way. Uh, but a lot of eyes on San Diego and the Padres, a lot of fun to listen uh, to you and the guys call that series. I only got to do one game. I got to do the opening game on Thursday, and then National took over both Friday, excuse me, Saturday and Sunday from the Texas Rangers. So it was like all this buildup, all this momentum, all the everything else that goes on during opening day, which is so much fun and a lot of optimism uh, surrounding the Texas Rangers. And then it was like, and then I just went home afterwards. And then uh, now back and excited to get going again here and to get a second Jacob deGrom start against the Baltimore Orioles in this series that starts on Monday for the Rangers. But this is not about the Rangers. This is about bigger picture here. And what an opening weekend it was. Billy, all that energy that you and I talked about leading up to this thing, Everything that went on in the offseason, a nice clean offseason with the new rules, all of it, man, none of it disappointed. There's some fan bases that are disappointed maybe in what's going on with their team. So if you'd like to panic, uh, now's a probably good time to do it. Overreact a little bit. Why not? Three or four games into the season. But it was a great opening day weekend. Highlights all over the place and that energy that we were looking for absolutely delivered. So in San Diego, the four games that they played against the Rockies set a franchise record for attendance. So in the first four games of the season for the San Diego Padres, they already broke an attendance record for themselves. Wow. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I was impressed by how many fans I have noticed that are going to these games on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, we'll get into the pace in a second, but like baseball, baseball, like how fans were experiencing it was as good of a opening weekend as I could ever remember from, from a fan experience. Just, mm. and, and, and you're right. I mean, there's been some really good stories. Texas is three and Oh, uh, you know, like there's, there is a bunch of, you know, to your point of like how, how the games were being played and at the pace that they were, the runs being scored, the type of brand of baseball that, that I was able to witness it was amazing. It was a, it was really fun. Um, and, and as as a quick like observation of the Padres, I don't know if they're quite as good as we thought. Oh, right? yeah. Um, I think there's there's some flaws in the system uh, when it comes to the Padres. They they did sign Jay Cronenworth to an extension. I, I apparently every player on the Padres is getting a crazy <laughs> extension, but they're they're a little flawed. Um, I. Like soda wasn't hitting at all. It's still early, mm-hmm. but they're they're slightly flawed. So I was I was impressed by them, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's opening weekend. I I have a feeling when we come back to the Padres, if they if they don't, you know, if they're not shooting for the moon yet, I wouldn't be shocked, right? Like I I see some flaws in their in their squad that I think so, will be addressed. Yeah. 
So that's something that's what I want to get to. You. So that's what I want to ask you about. So when you see that, we get it, right? Like we'll talk about teams all day long. We get to see a series, especially the way that you did for four games. You can start to see some potential issues uh, that arise. Now, Seth Lugo was pretty good. I know that was one of the question marks coming in some of the starting pitching on the back end. Is this something that solved is simply with Fernando Tatis Jr. Or is there a lot more there that you got to, you're a little bit concerned about when you watch this team for four days? Uh, I think Fernando will solve some problems, but I think defensively, they're not quite as sharp as I was thinking they were mm. going to be. Uh, I like Xander Bogarts. I think Xander Bogarts at the middle versus Hassan Kim, not quite as strong. Kim was an elite defender at short. Uh, Bogarts can rake. Uh, center field, I think they're fine with Grisham. Left field, Soto did not look comfortable. He made a couple plays in left field where the balls drop. And then behind home plate, you know, I, I like Aaron Nola. I mean, Austin Nola. I think there's there's you know between Nola and Capusano the the next guy there's a little bit to be desired there so I mm. I just think they're they're slightly flawed the starting rotation has to be healthy the whole season because they don't have depth of the organization so there is no Mackenzie Gore uh, to pick him up right he got mm. traded so yeah I think the Padres they're they're a really good team don't get me wrong yeah but they are flawed. They are flat. They're not as good as I, I as I thought they were going to be. So you're making Dodgers fans happy today, right? Because that was the big thing. I think a lot of us jumped on this and thought, you know what? The San Diego Padres are going to run um, with this. Something that you just said, which is interesting. You talk catcher, shortstop position, up the middle. Defensively, maybe they're not exactly elite level of where they want to be if they want to be a championship caliber team. They've pretty much painted themselves in a corner with their infield. right? We had thought at one point, would guys move around? Had Manny Machado opted out this year, at the end of this year, which he could have, uh, then perhaps third base would open up. Could you talk about uh, Xander Bogart sliding over to third base eventually? Obviously, that didn't happen because Manny Machado signs an extension, $350 million. That's done. You mentioned Jake Cronenworth. He gets his extension. Seven years, I believe, $80 million. He's over now at first base. So as far as Xander Bogart's and aging over the length of this contract that he just signed with the Padres, they're kind of in a corner, and uh, no pun intended, where he's going to have to stay at shortstop, I mean, maybe second base if there's a Kim switch, if it becomes noticeable a couple of years down the road. Uh, but they no longer have that flexibility that we thought they might have. Now, Fernando Tatis Jr. maybe is a, an eventual guy, but it doesn't matter. Where are you going to put Xander Bogarts over the length of this contract, especially if that range starts to slow down in a couple of years? And then on the catching side, with all the stolen bases that we're seeing right now, it's interesting if, if we see a shift in what matters for catchers. They have so many different things that they have to do. Right. They have to game call. They have to receive. They have to block. They have to throw. You can be good at one or two of those things. It's rare that you're good at all of them and can hit, by the way, on top of it. And so my question to you, now that we saw what 70 stolen bases through the first four days of the big league season, we're back on some pretty incredible pace, which I didn't think was going to happen. Quite honestly, I didn't think it was going to be that big of a difference. It's been a huge difference. The Baltimore Orioles, by the way, a perfect 10 for 10. I mentioned that series starts tonight against the Texas Rangers. Fun to keep an eye on. So I guess what I'm getting at is the idea of catchers throwing and pitchers holding these runners a little bit better and can only throw over twice. Um, is that going to be something that became is going to be more important than maybe what I thought at least the throwing catcher? Yeah, CJ, you're right. I, I mean, when JT Realmuto in in the series against the Rangers had a pop time of like one eight four, which is so good. Like the average pop time for a catcher is two seconds. So two seconds is is like that catch release and that's really fast uh at real muto 184 you're like oh it's not the big 184 is huge because Mm -hmm. it's it's two steps so you know like that's that's legitimately two steps 
Uh, and so when, when I, when I, the catchers that I've witnessed so far that are being successful in big leagues are receivers that can, that can throw. And you might even see an adjustment to how catchers are going down to that one knee unless mm. they're going to throw from that position. And I've heard some catchers say they throw better from the one knee position. I, I think stolen bases is now a strategy and it really does make a difference. And, you know, going back to the, the pace of game, the pace. And if you're, if you're, if your pitchers work fast and you have a base stealer and the base stealer is still threatening to go, mm. it's chaos all over the place. They're yeah. like, the hitters are uncomfortable. The defenders are uncomfortable. It's, it's awesome. It's great. But it's, it is like, there's a strategy now that we lost and it's back. And, and I, I personally am for it, but you're right. Like the catcher, the defensive catcher is important. Very, uh, what very I wonder important. is if teams are really, like you mentioned, JT or Lamuto is, is strong. I think there was five teams that didn't steal a base, even though we're looking at record territory is still five and a handful that only had one over the weekend. I wonder if it becomes more about exploiting the weaker throwing catchers or exploiting the pitchers that don't do a good job of holding runners on, because I think there was an opportunity on both sides for that. Not that it, not that that skill set was coming down, but it wasn't as important because analytics were telling us don't steal as much. The risk versus reward is not there, and now all of a sudden there's an opportunity because you can only throw over twice. The, the first base, the second base is four and a half inches closer with the bigger bases, and so I will tell you that it caught me off guard because I didn't think the strategy was going to change that much, but so far it has. Uh, we brought it. You brought up the pace of play. We were fortunate to get Rob Manfred on opening day on our broadcast. We had him maybe six years ago. And my biggest concern, the first thing I asked him, and by the way, I I, I did um, go ahead and post that. I don't know if I was allowed to or not, quite honestly, with Bally's, but I posted the whole interview. It's a little bit better than 16 minutes. Uh, I, I posted it. You can see it on my Twitter account. It takes you to a Rumble link if you want to go watch it. Um, and it was interesting because when he sat down, one of the things I joked about with him was, I was like, hey, did you really change? The pit, did you did you get the pitch clock in so that you didn't have the interviews wouldn't last very long? Like knowing he was you know, he's gonna be here like three minutes. I told Dave, my my partner, I was like, I might get three questions in, two, two or three if I'm lucky. We got a 16 and a half minute inning, and there was some controversy on the field, and he didn't know what was going on. You can see he got very interested in what was going on because there was a pitch clock violation, but it had to do something with pitch com. Then there was a meeting uh, among the umpires and it was taking a while. Uh, so it worked out well for us because we got 16 minutes of Rob Manfred. But the thing I asked him about, the thing that had gotten a lot of attention, and you and I have talked about the Shohei Otani, Mike Trout at bat in the WBC, and uh, my concerns about that and your concerns about that ninth inning, losing the drama, rushing through the really important moments, he seemed open to the idea uh, that at least we'll adjust accordingly if we need to. Constant communication with those on the field, players, managers, everybody involved in making sure that they're not blowing this, that they're doing it right. I will give him credit for that. I feel like he's always been open-minded. He doesn't necessarily rule with an iron fist, especially when it comes to these rules, even though I know some players in the union probably weren't thrilled when they first got put in. They can put them in easier than they ever have been able to. But I was I was encouraged by the fact that he was at least open uh, to the idea. And I promised him every time you and I get to make a dinner uh, early because of a quick game, we'll give him credit. I'll give him credit last night then too, because Rockies <laughs> played a two Oh three. They played a two hour and three minute game, which, you know, mentally, I don't know if there's going to be a faster game than what was played on Sunday. Mm. Rockies Padres, like a two hour and three minute game was, was the second fastest game in Rockies history. Wow. So, so I, I, and we're four games in, and I don't know if I'm going to see in the next 158 games, a faster game than that. Mm. I, I, you know, it's funny when we, we, when I think of Rob Manfred, because there's, there's been 
things that he's done where I think people have been upset about, uh, and rightfully so. I mean, calling uh, the the trophy a piece of metal. Hmm. Um, I, I think there's been, you know, the the back and forth with how we've seen maybe how he handled the Astros, even though the Astros, uh, they were given immunity for the players to to kind of let let this thing come out. I don't think, you know, fans will haven't really forgiven him that for that one yet because it's it's like, man, this was like the biggest scandal ever and nobody got really banged except for a retired player and a couple coaches and a manager and a GM. Like, what about the players? So, I mean, I think it, like the optics of, of the job that he's done from a fan standpoint has been okay. If you were to, from, from last season, from the CBA, from the CBA being done, mm-hmm. how the CBA has worked, Paying attention to how much was spent in free agency. You can't complain if you're a player that free agents were getting squeezed because they weren't. Extensions, young players in the big leagues, uh, the new ratification of a minor league union, the increase in spending for minor league players. Now the pace of game, the rule changes, and the overall excitement level of the fans. Dang, man. Like, Rob Manfred, the last 30, 365 days, mm. uh, really good job. I mean, yeah. like how I how I view him is is way different right now than I than I did from last year and even four years ago. Like, yeah, I'm with you. He cares. Ultimately, he cares. I've had my criticisms as well. There's been some good. There's been some bad. Listen, you are running Major League Baseball. Nobody does a perfect job. You go through the history of the commissioners that we have. I doubt you're going to get one, especially over the last, you know, 30, 40 years. Like, oh, yeah, everything went perfect. No chance. It's not going to happen. And some decisions have to be made. And sometimes you're going to say some things uh, that maybe are going to make some people upset. But I do think ultimately his heart is in the right place. He cares about the game, the growth of the game, making sure our fans are staying engaged. You know, you're going to tick some people off along the way. Anytime you make a change. Of course, that is a no-brainer. We've seen that over these last three or four years. But the product that we have right now, everything leading up to this opening weekend that we saw, I think it's playing out really, really well in their favor. I just hope that we don't see uh, that that game that ends in a, in a pitch clock violation. That was my biggest concern. And he, and he understood it, and, and, he, and they're not blind to it, uh, and they're not going to just ignore it. Uh, they do care. So we'll see how things go. But I thought uh, overall... Um, it was an enjoyable interview. Really did enjoy talking with him and some really good points. And and again, I think he, he and everybody doesn't have the same, I think, conclusion, but we all have the same goal. And that is that we love baseball. We want baseball to be a great product. We want baseball to continue to grow. So first weekend in, uh, really encouraging. I ran into Dave Dombrowski in the hallway and I said hello to him real quick. And I just jokingly said, hey, there's no shame in starting the season 0-3. And he, oh, this is before the, this is before the season started. The series started. I saw him. Okay, I thought you no, were no, no. it to him on a no, Sunday no, no, no. when he's no, on I, his no, way no, out. No. I said it. Uh, be, I saw him before the game on Thursday, and he laughed and he joked and he said, "Yeah, you guys should be okay with that, right?" Just joking around, like I know the Rangers are going to be the ones, and we had a good laugh, and and off we went. Well, it actually played out that way. The Rangers end up sweeping the Philadelphia Phillies. We had some pretty good pitching matchups on paper, especially for opening day. All the anticipation of Jacob Degrom and Aaron Nola. Of course, Aaron Nola scheduled to be a free agent. At the end of the year, they could not get a deal done before spring training, it sounds like. From what we understand, those talks were tabled, was the phrase uh, that was used. Um, but it was still a really good uh, game, ultimately was for the Rangers. wasn't a well-pitched game by either pitcher. They both gave up five. It was uh, not exactly uh, what we expected. Six extra base hits for Jacob DeGrom's never happened. Back-to-back triples against him has never happened. It was just one of those kind of wild uh, games. But 
Uh, two ways to look at it. The Rangers come out firing, look really good, scoring a bunch of runs. Uh, the bullpen was solid. The defense was really good. The Philadelphia Phillies start the year 0-3. No Bryce Harper, no Reese Hoskins. Opening day bullpen was kind of a mess uh, early on. We know the defense that was highlighted last year. They got it together and went on a really nice run. If anybody's going to overpanic, it's going to be Philadelphia Phillies fans right now because they run in a really deep division, and the Mets and the Braves got off to pretty nice starts um, this weekend. I know you didn't get to probably watch a ton of it. You're doing your stuff, but just in general, the idea of an 0-3 start for the Phillies with that other stuff in the background about Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins, uh, does that add to the pressure a little bit? I think we both looked at the Philadelphia Phillies and knew that getting out the gate was going to be hard for them. We even, you know, you you have that extra month of playing baseball, the World Series hangover, even for the teams that don't win a World Series, it, it does lag into their offseason as well. And when you start losing key members of your team out the gate for for a very in a very competitive division, we knew that, hey, yeah, Phillies could stumble and then turn to full strength much like they did last year in June and July. That's that's kind of how I how I envisioned them for this year as well. I, I was shocked. I was going to be shocked if they got out of the gate fast just because they're missing some key pieces. It's also interesting to note, and I think you know this too, the 29 runs scored by the Texas Rangers is the second most in Major League history for the first three games of a series in opening day weekend. It goes back to the White Sox in the 1950s. Mm. So this this series, you know, as as much fun as it was for Texas, you're wondering, okay, if you just gave up 29 runs in a three game series, and that's that's nearly a a major league baseball record to start the year. Is that was that an anomaly, or are mm-hmm. there other, you know, was it? Am I expecting the Philadelphia Phillies ERA as a team to be five? Six. I mean, when does yeah. that come down to earth? So that that I mean, you do get those weird numbers, you know, to start the year. But when you have that big of a number, mm. I wonder if it, I mean, you shouldn't give up 29 runs in the three game series. That's just a lot. Even if the Rangers are firing on all cylinders, that's just 29 yeah. runs in a three game series is, is you know, you know what it's called. It's called a buzzsaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the buzzsaw, the Texas Rangers just buzzsawed the Phillies. And we saw a position player pitching first opening series, which is something that we'll see much less of because there's stricter rules regarding that. Josh Harrison actually got in this game, I believe he threw two-thirds of an inning. A position player now can only pitch if your team is up by 10 or down by 8. Uh, we mentioned, uh, joked about it over uh, last year, Hanser Alberto, I think he pitched six times uh, in last year for Los Angeles Dodgers. That is not going to happen anymore. Uh, those days are over. But yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, they'll pitch better as things go on here for the Philadelphia Phillies. But uh, I think a little bit of panic sets in, even though it's only three games, uh, just because of what we saw a little bit sloppy and the fact that uh, you don't have Bryce Harper. However, he did say on the broadcast yesterday uh, that he's going to start taking some batting practice at home. So perhaps he is on the way a little bit quicker than expected. That's the other part of this. You mentioned the Rockies game real quick and how fast that was. I'd be curious to see the history of ESPN broadcasts and their time of game. It's a national game, so you get longer commercial breaks. It was, I believe, 224 uh, for that game yesterday and for one that was not um, you know, particularly close after what we saw uh, throughout the weekend. So uh, that part of it to me, we know those Yankee games would just be uh, brutal. Uh, when they would play the Red Sox. I'm sorry, I'm thinking of the earlier game. It was a close game. A final of 2-1 was a good game um, that we saw between uh, those two. But the fact that it even took 224 on an ESPN to me um, is a pretty big deal because we just don't see that on Sunday Night Baseball. 
Yeah, the the number we saw was two hours and forty one minutes. That that's about the average right now. Mm. Uh, this is what from a stats pack I got from Major League Baseball yesterday. So I'm sure it's going to update after after Sunday's game. So you know, like the it should get right in the two forties. I, I guess a couple things to note with the pace of play. Uh, fans really like it. Broadcasters are adjusting to it fast, but there are younger players. And I think some of the players that I've talked to, um, it's like, if you're a younger player and you're like the, the game is already sped up from a hitter standpoint, the game is fast. It's, it's a fast game. And, And like for somebody listening, they're like, okay, what makes it feel fast? It feels fast because there's so much going on in a, in a major league at bat. There's how a pitcher is going to pitch to you. They have the ability to command the strike zone. Hopefully they can work on the outside part of the plate. They can work on the inside. They can go up and down. They can throw off speed pitches and most hitters shouldn't be guessing. You shouldn't be guessing, but you try to have a, have an idea of where a pitch might be. Mm-hmm. So if, if I'm hitting, I like to look center in the center of the plate. And then if a pitcher is commanding both sides of the plate, now I have to kind of cut it in halves because then I'm a better hitter. If I cut the plate in a half, if there's a fastball away and I'm thinking fastball away and he throws fastball away, I can go with it. If I'm thinking fastball in, he throws fastball away, I'm frozen. Mm-hmm. I won't, won't be able yeah. to fire my swing. If I'm thinking fastball in and somebody throws an off-speed pitch away, I'm frozen. I might be able to ride with my hands if I'm in a good place. So just as as this pace is going on and these pitchers are throwing a ball every seven seconds, it, it's really boiling down to it's closer to this every seven seconds than 15. The younger hitters are expanding strike zones. They are swinging at pitches that aren't normally there or they're firing early. So mm. I've, I saw, you know, for example, like Juan Soto. Juan Soto looks extremely uncomfortable and he's a veteran hitter. He's one of the best hitters in our league. And he looked like he was firing pitches down to the bottom of the strike zone. He just felt sped up. Mm. And so that that's going to be, I think the biggest adjustment we're going to notice in the next month is my guess is certain hitters are going to be fine with this. There's going to be hitters like a Soto, maybe some really young players in their first year. Uh, I want to know what the first pitch swing rate is. That's what I want to see. I got it right now, buddy, in front of me. What is it? So last year it was 31%. uh, This year so far, 30.1%. Okay, so it's right right on average. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but my guess is like over the course of this year is, is the younger players that feel sped up are going to get buried. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Sure. I think it makes sense. I mean, for you know, obviously some of them played uh, under the clock uh, in the minor leagues, but here's another point along to that same thing you were just saying, the Rangers scored nine runs in an inning and JT Rilamuto said it felt like it was a track meet. That might've been his exact phrase, but point was, he's like, man, I couldn't catch my breath. Like it was going so fast and everything was moving along. And then it's like, what do you do for your pitcher? He went out there once and, you know, trying to pick your spot. Like, when do you actually go out there? Cause you're limited and you're timed. Now I don't, I, I I'm, I'm not complete. I don't even know. Perhaps you do. I've been a little bit confused by this. When a pitching coach comes out, they start a 30 second clock, but he doesn't have to get out of there by 30 seconds because it, it expires. I've seen it expire with the pitching coach on the mound and the same thing when a catcher goes out. But I, when the case of Rulamuto, he it felt like he realized he was limited in his time. And so he picked up the pace, but even figuring out when do I do that? I can't do it very often. 
We're having this monster inning. Everything's going really fast, and guys cannot slow it down. And so when you have that runaway train inning, which you're taught as a pitcher, you know, there's a lot of things you're taught as a pitcher, but one of those things is how do I stay away from the big inning? The big inning will kill you. It will cost your team the game if you cannot figure out how to slow the pace to get yourself back on track and get your team out of that inning, right? You get a, a leadoff triple in your mind. Hey, they want, that guy's probably scoring. Don't let this turn into a monster inning where now you're trying to do too much and next thing you know, five runs are on the board. Well, the ability to slow that down by taking a timeout or going to talk or, or an infielder giving you the breather, they don't exist. They're limited, you know, by a pretty wide margin compared to what we used to have. And so now that that whole thing becomes a part of this. But JT Relamuto, certainly a guy that we trusted, that's when he really noticed it in a nine-run inning. And it just felt like they could do nothing to stop it. Yeah, and the timeouts, great point. I mean, hitters were using him in different spots. Some guys were using it before the the beginning of their at-bat. Some guys are using it always with two strikes. So you get to two strikes, they call timeout reset go into the box even if it's an if they're down two strikes right away and they just they'll just hang out in the in the batter's box in the case of a catcher calling a timeout they have to go to the mound mm. so they can't just say timeout yeah. and just stand there they have to go so you have to burn a mound visit so the mound visits have to be you know those are those are now being watched again we weren't mm. watching mound visits in years past now we're back to the MVR the other the the last little note on on timeouts which was uh, another just kind of an inter- interesting complaint is if you're at first base and you're the base runner and you dive into first and you see guys will shake out the dust and the dirt. Mm-hmm. If they call timeout, if the if the base runner, which almost always, always yeah. you'd see a base runner go in, dive, call timeout. They get timeout. No problem. You get one timeout and that timeout goes to the hitter. So yeah. a base runner diving into first base if he calls a timeout, the hitter no longer has it, and they usually use it for two strikes. So the, it's it is kind I didn't of know that. That's yeah. so good. Give yeah. him five. Like let the umpire's discretion for five seconds, right? You got a bunch of dirt in your belt or whatever's going on. Let the umpire kind of uh, give that up because the umpires have discretion when it comes to this clock, right? They can stop it if they feel like it's necessary. And to me, that seems like that'd be one of those situations. It's pretty necessary. Did you see that Pete Alonso play? Where yeah. Pete Alonso took too long to get back to first base. And because of that, Jeff McNeil was had a strike call against him and he was now down in the count of two. Like, I mean, I get it. Everyone's got to be back in place. I don't think he was necessarily trying to. It was an 0-1 count after what a foul ball. I don't think he was necessarily intentionally trying to slow everything down. I didn't even see that one coming when we sit there and anticipated what the rules were going to be. Uh, but I thought that one was kind of unfair. Yeah, the 3 2 2 out four foul balls where the guy's like, Oh my God, you know, the base runners <laughs> running back. He's like, okay, hold on. Give me like a breather. Nope. Oh, could you imagine that? That yeah. kid, that kid, that's a realistic two or Ring three foul Bring him up. Ball. Game yeah. over. No, yeah. Can't. On a we three, cannot on let a three, it happen. Two. Let's oh. stay on the Mets real quick because poor Andrew, our producer, uh, wanted this to all be about Kodai Sanga. Of course, uh, we have to cover all of Major League Baseball, but it was a pretty interesting debut. We had all eyes on him as well and curious how things were going to go. And it did not start out uh, particularly well uh, for Kodai Sanga. And that started against the Miami Marlins. Uh, there was a single. It was a wild pitch, a double a walk, another walk to load the bases. And then he gets that mound visit. And, you know, we joke about mound visits sometimes and, you know, how important does it really matter? It mattered. And that was a well-used one because after that, he gets a strikeout of Gurriel, then a Sanchez, uh, and then a line out, got a little bit of trouble second inning, and then just shut it down after that. He looked really, really good. The fork ball was sharp. And it's a little extra bite to it than your average um, fork ball. Looked really good to go with the high velocity, the combination of those 
two pitches. And then I did not realize this, Billy. I saw a story today uh, that I, I, he was a developmental player at one point in Japan. And developmental really? player is essentially like you're a red shirt, right? Or you're on the practice squad. You're there, you're in the organization, but you're not active and you're not getting paid. Or you're not getting paid like a big leaguer, essentially. Uh, you can't play in games. Uh, yeah, developmental players, you and I will know from our time there, you get triple digit number. I can't remember there's a limit. I don't know what the limit is. Handful of players that can do it. But essentially, again, your practice squad. And they have you there in case maybe they think you can turn into something, but you're not even, in their opinion, good enough to be a minor leaguer. Now, it's a 70-man roster throughout the entire organization, so that's part of it. And then you get your triple-digit number guys. I did not know that. He was one of those guys early on in his career, and now he's turned into a star, and here he is in the States. But I thought some pretty good returns. you got to expect nervousness. He was honest about how nervous he was, but he settled in really nicely uh, and threw the ball well. And that fork ball is real. I'm not going to get all involved in the whole you know, ghost fork nonsense. It's just a really good fork ball. I have some fun with it on the media side, but uh, it looked pretty good. Okay. So I'll, I'll dig into a couple of the baseball savant numbers and you tell me if these are good or not. Uh, fastball, it topped out at 99 miles an hour. That's really good. Mm. Um, I like called strikes. So if, if yeah. a guy's throwing called strikes with the pitches, he had 12. Uh, he had no swing and misses with the fastball. Zero, not one, even wow. though he's throwing throwing 99 yeah it was a hundred percent contact within the strike zone so that's wow. something to pay attention to so his yeah. fastball is really good but he got he generated zero swings and misses now the marlins do have a high contact team mm. but uh regardless the fastball is something to pay attention to the fork ball he, he threw 26 of them 14 swings on the fork ball Nine swing and misses. That's a 64% whiff rate, which would be one of the top pitches at baseball by yeah. far. All his punch outs, all eight of his punch outs came on the fork. Uh, from those, he was able, he was not able to throw a strike, like an actual strike with the fork. So it's, mm. so there. Oh, so none of those were in the zone. None of them were the, other than when they, when guys swung out. Yeah. So out of, out of the 14 swings, he generated nine swing and misses and three foul balls. So like nobody, like there, there was maybe two balls put in play on the fork ball. That's how devastating a pitch is, but there was not a called strike with it. Yeah. So you'll see hitters adjust and we'll find out if they adjust. But I mean, in the case of Senga, he's still able to use a, a slider and a, and a cut fastball to steal some strikes too. So yeah. uh, if, if I'm hitting a guy like that and I see the fastball numbers, mm. I'm hunting fastball the whole way and I'm doing my best to not fire at the ghost fork. Yeah, it's tough. To, it's going to be tough to do, but you're right. I mean, and for for the most part, your fork ball split guys, that pitch is not going to be in the zone very often, right? Even for a while, it's throwing like what we call a Foss changeup and almost kind of like a mini split. And it was bottom of the zone or below, right? Where you felt like maybe you could get a strike, but more often than not, you don't. You certainly don't want it even thigh higher above. It becomes a very hittable pitch. And so if it's good enough and it's tight enough, then you get the chases, right? When you're geared up for, as you know well know, 97. 98, but he was really good. The stuff looked live. I absolutely despise Billy. I don't know if I'll get over it eventually, uh, but despise what we have done here uh, with his slider and calling it a sweeper. It's not on him. Like it's an official term now for certain guys that are looking for more horizontal break on their slider, which is fine. My, my concern there, I'm not saying it's not like legitimate as far as what they're doing. My concern is for us as we present the game, it now splits up the breaking balls even more. Right. And listen, they already split up the breaking ball between curveball and knuckle curveball. And now it's slider and sweeper. And so what it does is it just lessens the sample size. And so if we go to do, say, a pitch arsenal and we take the, the numbers from MLB Advanced Media, it's going to have seven different pitches where I'd rather talk about in the game. We're talking to fans 
right? Hey, this guy's got a slider. He can manipulate it. He can have it go down and harder. He can soften yeah, it up. Exactly. Corey, Corey Kluber's the master at it, right? When Whenever I'd call a Corey Kluber game, I just called it a breaking ball because he can make it look like a curveball and he can make, make it look like a slider. Now, it's good for game preparation as a player, but as we present the game and as, as even you know MLB Advanced Media does it, to throw a new pitch in there, what it does, it just it, to me, now I can't compare his sweeping slider as easily to somebody else's regular slider because then the data's not in the same spot anymore. So I get why they did it, um, but the idea of dissecting pitches to this degree, I don't think is good for our presentation of the game, and it makes it harder actually to do comps uh, and things that matter, to, at least to us, to me, when we're, I'm broadcasting a game. Uh, agreed. I mean, like a, a slider can be manipulated to be a tight slider. A slider could even be thrown like a cut fastball. Uh, th- there's guys that they're like, no, that's my slider. They write it down as a cutter because it's at 91, 92 miles an hour. Yeah. Uh, like it's hard to say, wow, that's a 92 mile an hour slider. No, that's a cut fastball. Yeah. No, you know, the pitcher is going to say, no, that's, that's a slider. If they throw, if they take three, four, five miles an hour off of it and get the more horizontal movement, mm-hmm. none of these guys are saying, Hey, that's my sweeper. Yeah. And they're like, no, I just took a little bit off my slider. So I yeah. I'm with you. Uh, the lexicon, even in a in in a clubhouse, isn't the same uh, as what we're seeing uh, in this baseball savant or any of these other uh, pitching gurus that are out there telling us what they like. None of the none of the pitchers. I was like, hey, are you throwing a sweeper? The hell's that? All right. So I and I I I'll counterpoint because I wish it was hundred percent sure. I do because I I don't want to I don't want to talk about it and have to use it. However, our boy John Gray, who's going tonight, this is Monday morning for the Texas Rangers added what he said, a sweeper in spring training. Now, he said after a game wasn't as good, his regular slider's nasty, right? His regular slider, you saw it many, many times. I got to see it last year a bunch. It's filthy. Um, but he said he was working on a sweeper, and I, and I cried a little bit on the inside when he said it, quite honestly, because I was like, oh, man, you know. So I'll, I'll let's see what happens tonight in the broadcast. If there's a horizontal, what I would think was a more of a horizontal break slider, I'm gonna, I don't know what I'm going to do, Spilly. I mean, do I sit there and say he's sweeping a slider or I just give it its own individual name? This is the things that we go through, the real pressure that's involved. But it makes me sad. It made me sad that he said it. And it makes me sad that it's part of what's going on. But we're not sad because baseball is here, baby. And it was a great opening day uh, weekend. Uh, We cannot wait to get even deeper and deeper into the season. There are so many great storylines are going to continue all year long. And Spill and I will be with you. We'll also be on MLB Network Radio tomorrow. That's Tuesday, 3 to 6 Eastern time. First show we've done together in like three weeks. It is, I mean, it's crazy. So I'm glad we had the podcast and we can get some work done. Uh, just crazy schedules at the end of spring training and the beginning of the regular season. That is it for the Loud Outs podcast. Thank you for listening. As always, this is CJ Nikowski and Ryan Spielborgs. Have a great day. Serious XM Podcasts.